0: Do you like my harp playing today, Derek?
1: Oh, the harp is beautiful, Katie.
0: I thought we could just do this for an hour.
1: Oh, not enough time.
0: My arms would get tired though now. I'm a little bit out of harp shape.
1: Oh, but it's it's beautiful nonetheless. It soothes my the savage beast in me.
0: <laughs> what's what's your instrument of choice, Derek? Guitar. Nice. And we I'm sure we can do a duo when we have our own podcast. Yes. Which that day may be here. We're where the hell? Are you they? know, are they okay? The
1: 1972 Chevy Caprice Classic had vents in the trunk. They called it a mafia car.
0: You have one of those?
1: I have one, and not only do I have one, but I've got Matt in it.
0: <laughs> hey, hey, Matt, quiet. We can probably discern what Matt would say. What about Keith? I, I Keith is just writing his 15th book for the year.
1: That's all he does.
0: Taking the day, taking the day off. He's mumbling in the corner while he's typing away. Yeah, he's
1: he's writing our blogs today, folks we somebody crack a whip. That's what we need. Pew. So hey, so this is this is this is Valentine's Day early, folks.
0: You know, we got the run of the house.
1: Damn, Skippy.
0: Eric and I are free. Talk about whatever we want. And this, apparently, it's not going to be an hour of heart music. Although maybe another time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, but you anyway. know. But yeah. I'm, 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 I'm super jazzed about this, Derek. This is going to be really fun. I mean, this your... is
1: amazing. You know, this is, hey, you know, yeah. we've turned off privilege for at least one day. <laughs> exactly. You know, this is, hey, we have, we have a woman and a black dude running the Heretic Happy Hour.
0: We're here to bring the house down. That's right. Burn that. And raise break, the, break out the glass ceilings. <laughs> That's right. But for, uh, for listeners, we thought this went well, Derek and I, of course, thought, so we kidnapped Matt and Keith that it would be fun to come together, um, show a little bit of ourselves to you as the new ish co-host. We've been around a while now. Are you though. talking about
1: flashing, showing ourselves to
0: people? Oh, well, it's a podcast. <sighs> We're not a video well, podcast. Well, okay,
1: folks, you can use your imagination.
0: What are you what are you wearing right now, Derek?
1: Um khakis. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Y'all, the best part about podcasting is you can be in yoga pants, you can be in pajamas, you can be in your parka. It's great.
1: Yep. I I'm I'm wearing yoga pants for the for the record. Because I'm I'm a liberated man. Because
0: it's still 4,000 degrees in Chico, I'm a uh, I'm dressed for the 4,000 degree weather. But yeah, so we're here to share our stories, to talk a little bit, and to uh, say all the things we can't say when Matt and Keith are. Yeah,
1: we, we can we can be free.
0: We's free. Totally, we's free. free Katie,
1: we've been talking
0: about developing this podcast, so <laughs> this is this is our this is our trial episode.
1: Yeah, and so either either we're gonna nail it, or we'll crash and burn. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, I agree with that. So
1: <laughs> uh, let's see. The first thing on the agenda here is it looks like something came over the hotline. So roll, roll that beautiful text footage. Hi, guys. My name is Jessica Carpenter, and I'm a huge fan of the show. One specific area that I've never truly pondered has hit me really freaking hard recently. I've been punched in the gut by a reality I can't believe I'm facing. Seven months ago, just before the holidays, I lost my dad very unexpectedly. Oh, sorry, Jessica. Yeah. He was diagnosed with brain cancer. Holy fuck. Sorry. Uh, and he died three weeks later. My dad was my best friend and a wonderful father. He died a, a month before I got engaged. He's missed everything. I've lived hell from charismatics who believe my mother, my sisters, and I believe wrong, which this, thus resulted in his death. Holy, God almighty, there's so much Ooh, to unpack here. Girl. Oh man, Jessica, my heart is going out to you, but I still there's still more. There's, as they say in the infomercials, but wait, there's more. Uh, we've experienced comments from fundamentalists who informed us that this always was to be. My father was predestined by God to die at this horrible time and just before the hell that has been 2020, no less. But also, some who have gone through deconstruction themselves haven't been terribly pleasant either. Their words of comfort are certainly not as harsh, but they they cannot offer me hope of a reunion. These past seven months have been insidious to say the least. All I want to know. Are your thoughts on me seeing my dad again? Do you believe that I will get that experience again someday? My thoughts on hell have dr- have drastically changed, but admittedly, I've been so confused, I'm so consumed with letting go of the tethering that I ha- that I had to eternal conscious torment that I didn't even consider the other side of that thought. Ultimately, we can only know for sure that we simply don't know. But I'm interested in what you have to say. Thanks for everything you guys do. It is changing my life, Jessica. God.
0: Dang. Damn. That's a text message. I'm in tears.
1: I, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, this
0: is, there's so much here.
1: I'm, I mean, I'm serious. I'm, I'm sitting up here wiping the tears from my eyes. It's a good thing it's not a video podcast or, you know, you guys will see my mascara running or something like that. This is.
0: And I would have to have gotten more dressed. Damn. damn. So, go ahead, yeah. yeah. what, what you got? Okay. Oh, what you got for Jessica, yeah. Derek? I can feel the I can feel the compassion.
1: Just Jessica. For let me, Let me tell you something. That all energy res- returns to its source. All matter returns to its source. Yeah. Uh, so, so without uh, belaboring the point and and really dragging this out, uh, because you've been through too much as it is, but you will see your dad again. You absolutely will see your dad again. And matter of fact, you will see your dad in the glory of God. It, it, there, listen, there is no eternal conscious torment. There is no hell. There is no devil. There's none of that. All there is is God and us. And because we are his children, what parent, even though estranged from their child, would not openly receive their child? I mean, Listen, you will see your dad and not only will the experience be as good as you remember it, but Jessica, I can say this from the bottom of my heart that it will be light years better.
0: Oh, preach it, Derek. Everything Derek said, like times a thousand, uh, I have total agreement. And I want to speak to um, also to Jessica with um, just offering self-compassion to yourself. So like Derek, I, I completely believe you'll see your dad again. Um, I, don't, I don't know the wins or the hows, but I, I do believe it. And I've spoken with enough people who've had enough experiences so that um, I think we even have some really a lot of anecdotal proof, but also to offer yourself the compassion to be patient with yourself because yes. you're, oh my gosh, this is a lot. Like your dad is diagnosed, he dies, you get engaged, you're in the middle of a deconstruction process. I'm running out of fingers to and count the number of things that's happening. And it's 2020. Exactly. And it's 2020. And so that patience with yourself, you know, the deconstruction process is not swift. And it sounds like, just tell me if this resonates, you'll write back and let us know. But you know, you're experiencing a lot of cognitive dissonance where the things you were taught are not matching with your experience. And that's a weird place to be. It's a weird place to be. And even people who are going through deconstruction are also in that space, which might be why they haven't been as comforting as they as they could be. So Um, Yeah, the it'll be 2021 one day. It will be, and hopefully this will feel a little easier. And I, uh, you know, and I, I think your dad is is with you now too. You know, there's some there's some essential part of him that's also present with you.
1: And and listen, I want to say something too, Jessica. You you so moved me with your message that if you will send an email to um, either the the Heretic Happy Hour or Heresy After Hours or Heretic Happy Hour podcast. Uh, group if you will share with us your email address i promise you i will send you a copy of my book deconstructing religion it won't be autographed but it'll be a, it'll be in your 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 uh, inbox as soon as i get your email address and that's a promise Aww. i mean i i just i there's god i just i just wish i could reach out and hug her right now
0: we're sending you yeah, virtual covid safe hugs yeah jessica and congratulations on your engagement too yeah and
1: and you know something, I I think that that with your with your deconstruction and everything and 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 let me let me say one more thing. God, I gotta say, there's so much to unpack here. But I, I, listen, I'm the the I'm one of the champions of compassion. But I'm gonna tell you something. You know, all these people that have heaped all of this condemnation on you. You know, I wanted to, I want to say something to you, and I hope you receive this in the best possible way. But fuck what they think. Okay, honestly. <laughs> Not, not fuck them because I'm, 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 you know, I'm not that kind of guy, but, but what they think, what they think concerning this, but let's,
0: and, and that's born out of some fear. It's born out of conditioning out of programming. You know, they may be doing the best they can. We hope that they can do better in the future and you're on your journey.
1: Yep. Maybe you can help them. Maybe you'll be that shining light that, that leads them to safe shores. Who knows?
0: Yeah. That's great. Well, Derek. It's all fallen to hell already, just the two of us. Yeah. Because we forgot to give people the hotline number. Don't
1: God damn it. That is...
0: (laughs) And it wasn't in our notes, to be fair. To be fair, it wasn't in our notes.
1: You know what? But let me go ahead and fix that uh, because, let's see, we have a hotline. And that hotline is, if you want to get some exercise for your index finger, you can dial 240 343-7379. 343-7379. Once again, 240-343-7379. And maybe, maybe we might even use your message.
0: Derek, should we get to the heretics of the weeks?
1: Yeah. It's the heretic of the week. And the heretics of the week would be Derek Day and Katie Valentine. Hi, Derek. Hi, Katie.
0: All right, y'all. Uh, we are your heretics of the week. So like we said before, this is an episode where we can um, just get to know you a little bit better, tell you a little bit about our stories. And Derek and I are just going to have some fun, uh, talk about our past, our present um explore the future what this what this podcast might look like with just the two of us no we're not we're we're kidding matt and keith are going to come back no i'm not kidding i'm not kidding then... shut up matt <laughs> shut up. and Abby. uh and derek let's see i don't know how long have we been working together now derek it's four or five yeah, months about,
1: about 5 months
0: yeah it's been it's been a blast and i you know i realize i don't actually know a lot of your story i've heard bits and pieces so why don't well, you kind of tell us your story first what's the What's the short, long version? Well, I was born a young black child. <laughs> where?
1: Uh, no, actually, I was born in a town called Decatur, Illinois, and and that, that happened to be my dad's hometown. Uh, but um, shortly after that, I think I was four years old, um, July 1967, we left Decatur. My mom and my dad separated, and we went to Detroit, where her parents lived. And we and so Detroit is where I grew up. I, I grew up in the city in the hood, and I was raised by a single mother i I am I am the poster child <laughs> of uh, of everything that is supposed to fail about black people in America. and uh, I was raised in a in a non-religious setting uh, because on both my mom's side and my dad's side, there are only two classes of people, and those being the saints and the sinners. Guess which camp I was in? And she
0: went and didn't raise you in
1: in the church? No, I wasn't raised in the church at all. Um okay. as a matter of fact as a child I was a bit of a church gypsy. Um you know we my my uh, my mother's or my dad's mom was Baptist, my mom's uh parents were Church of God and so we kind of bounced around between those and we lived right around the corner from a big Catholic church so we used to go to mass and then there was a Methodist church around the corner we used to go to that and uh, so and, and then um uh, you know, my I think I was like I was 15, yeah, 15. I got in trouble. And my mom uh reached out to my dad and said, Hey, you need to do something about this knucklehead. Right. And so uh she she sent me my brother and my sister up to spend the summer with my dad. And my dad made the pitch for us to stay with him. Um and this was a big culture shift because I grew up in Detroit in the hood and blackity black black was all I knew, right? And so I moved to Burnsville, Minnesota. where Oh, like
0: it's all Norwegian.
1: Oh man. It, it was culture shock. And, and I was one of five black kids in Burnsville high school, which had about two. Oh my gosh, you're students. like 15,
0: 16? Yeah. That's a big, it was a, that's a big change. It was a
1: huge change, but I had a couple of things going for me. I was a jock. So I played football and, uh, and, and then also while I was there, I learned to play hockey, which that was really cool. Um, but it was while I was in Minnesota that uh, one of my uh, football um, teammates asked me just out of the blue one day, he said, hey, do you want to learn how to ski? And I'm like, hell yeah. <laughs> and so went to this thing that they called Sun Summit. And... and S O N that's summit? that's what it was. I thought it was S U N yeah. because we would go skiing on the weekends, like on Saturdays, we would go skiing, and then on Wednesday nights we have this this dinner and fellowship with, you know, pizza and you know, a slideshow and, and and music that I didn't really identify as Christian. I mean, it, it took like I was I was going there like maybe two months before I realized that it was S O N summit.
0: Before you realized you were like at a church youth. Yeah. Threw-
1: now it was in a church. It was in the basement of, of, of a Presbyterian church of all places. Yeah. And but th- these kids, there there was no condemnation. There was no threat of hell. There was no if you die tonight. They just loved on me and loved on me and loved on me. And they said, Hey, do you want to know where the source of this love is? And I'm like, Hell yeah. And they told me about Jesus.
0: So you had this great first experience. Yeah, it
1: was it was fantastic. Yeah, and then after after I after I you know quote unquote received Christ, um, I went. I actually went to church at the Presbyterian Church where, and oh my God, I was like, I said, this is so not like Sun Summit.
0: It wasn't like your youth
1: it experience. No, yeah. no. Yeah. So so then shortly after that, chosen
0: had, experience. What's that? A frozen chosen experience.
1: Oh my God. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It was, Presbyterians
0: are nice people, but there is some frozen chosen.
1: Yeah. I mean, really wonderful people, really, really wonderful people. But boy, oh boy. I, I think that was the most boring church that I'd ever gone to. <laughs> uh, I, I, I went yeah. I went to funerals that were more entertaining <laughs> sorry, than well.
0: that. A good funeral yeah. can get your heart pumping. So yeah. Oh
1: boy. Um, so, so anyway, I, um, I fell out of, fell out with my dad and I went back to Detroit. And, um, and so when I got back to Detroit, the first thing, all of my friends, they were like, man, so I hear you have the Jesus experience, you know, yes, had or,
0: back. this is pre-internet. How'd they yeah,
1: know? No, no, I mean, it was like, you know, my brother and sister knew. And so they, you know, they were telling my friends, you know, Hey, you know, Derek, you know, he's not smoking weed anymore. He's not drinking anymore. He's not doing any of that stuff. And so a bunch of my friends, I think it was like 10 of my friends came to the house one day. And they said, Man, here you got Jesus. I said, Yeah. And and they were like, Wow, so that means you're gonna stop smoking weed? And I'm like, Yeah. And they said, You're gonna stop drinking? And I'm like, Yeah. And they said, So what are you gonna do about all these girls that that like you? And I was <laughs> like, Oh fuck. <laughs> and that I was where really I lost. Damn that, thing. That, that that was that was where I, I got into backsliding, quote unquote. <laughs> okay. You know. Right.
0: Started
1: early. <laughs> but 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 before that happened, I got baptized at um uh, at, at our family's church. By this time my mom was going to uh going to church and was Greater New Mount Moriah Baptist Church in Detroit, Michigan. And its big claim to fame is that um uh god dang it now I can't uh Benjamin Hooks, who was at the time the the executive director of the NAACP, he was our pastor. So it was a kind of a big deal. It was a big yeah. church and and uh and so i I got baptized there, and after my baptism, the church mothers they gave me a new Bible, and I still have this Bible to this very day uh it's a is a white leather bound Bible had my had my name inscribed in it on the on the cover and and it had some notes written from all the church mothers on the inside and they gave me this Bible, and they gave me a bookmark with the Ten Commandments on it. And they, and the church mothers were like, well, the first thing that you need to do when you get, when you get your Bible home, turn to the book of Proverbs and you need to read those Proverbs and you need to memorize them, baby. And then these 10 commandments on this bookmark, you, this is what you live by. This is your rule. This is your guide. This is what you need to live by. And, And I was like, I was like, wow. I said, okay. So I started reading the Bible. I didn't listen to them. I didn't start at Proverbs. I went all the way back to Genesis and I started reading and so Genesis fine, you know, I is not where
0: I would start someone. Person. Yeah. yeah, yeah Exodus ex- they were was, trying to do
1: that. Yeah, they they were they were trying to, you know, it, it basically teach me how to live right, how, yeah, to, how yeah. to live holy. Right. I mean, right. like
0: every instruction there is to a young man, right? So it,
1: Exactly. So I, I get to uh, Genesis, fine. Exodus, fine. Uh Leviticus, fine. And then I by the time I got to Numbers, I was like, "Wait a second. This is not the same God I was introduced to in Minnesota." <laughs> right. I said so this god is 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 pissed he's angry and he's brutal he's bloodthirsty and i was like god, god. and and so my, my poor little head exploded and then by this by this time i had to i had to smoke some weed to kind of you know uh, get get over the ptsd <laughs> you need your alcohol your
0: weed yeah. Your PTSD, and, yeah and i had to
1: get some whiskey you know to kind of wash all of that down and 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 so that was that and then then i went off and, and joined the navy i was in the navy for 7 years and um you know i had
0: a, oh where you saw the ice wall yeah,
1: oh yeah that yeah that thing you know at the edge of the world you know <laughs> the, the the ice wall the thing that keeps you from falling off
0: reference back to our conspiracy theories <laughs> listeners just
1: dial back. so um so anyway we, you know uh, while while i'm in the navy you know i i um you know i'm i'm doing that thing and and i was kind of uh, nihilistic as as, an, as a sailor and i was I, I think that i was suicidal but i didn't have the balls to kill myself Mm. So I, I would go out and fight every Friday night. And, and usually, and so once a month I got arrested, right. And, and then the shore patrol would come from the ship and they'd pick me up. And, and one time the shore patrol didn't come, my division officer did. And, and when he, when he showed up, I said, holy fuck. I said, I'm really in trouble now. But what he did is he didn't take me back to the boat. He took me to his house. Well, and then, well, actually we went to his house on Friday night. And then Saturday morning, he took me to like TJ Maxx and he bought me some new clothes. And, and basically I hung out with him and his wife and kids at their house in Virginia Beach. And, and, you know, we sat down and we drank, um, cognac and smoked cigars. And he told me, he said, listen, man, he said, this Navy thing, this Navy thing has been around for almost 200 years and it'll chew you up and spit you out, you know, unless you get your shit together. And so he basically, helped me get my military career on track. And and so I did that and I, and and I got, um, discharged honorably after serving two, uh, two terms. And then I I went out and, you know, went to work and all of that. And I, I met a girl and we dated for a while and we lived together for a while and then we got married. And then, um, almost five years after we got married, um, she died of cancer. And, and that was, that was the, the first time when I really, really knew that God was real. God had to be real, mm. you know, because I thought, I really was convinced that if she died, I'd die. I, 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 didn't, I couldn't see life beyond that. And so when it happened, God sent people, He orchestrated circumstances and all of these things. And I really believe that, you know, even, even as deconstructed as I am now, that, uh, that, that God saved my life. For the, a reason. the
0: presence of god sounds like it was just very real very palpable for you in the time of grief very yep yeah.
1: and um and so it was it, i think it was a, almost 2 years prior to that when uh, i got what i call the call to preach and and so from 1992 until about 2000 i just every time it would come up I would say no, 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 no. That's not me. That's not for me. And then I, one of my friends, one of my Navy buddies, in, invited me to his church, and the preacher was a big black dude. I mean, it was like he was like TD Jake's big, right? You know, big guy, and he had a Jerry curl. I don't know if you know what a Jerry curl is, oh, yeah. but he had oh, but he had he had a, a wet Jerry curl where he was soaking everybody on the front pews, right? And he was just sitting up there. Ah, ta, ta. And he was hucking and bucking and Ha
0: oh, Jesus, on oh, the Word of God, and he is this was like in a Pentecostal setting. Yeah,
1: and and he had on a lime green suit, green suit with lime green alligator shoes and this wet ass Jerry curl. And 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 when I'm looking at him, I'm looking. I looked up because I didn't understand to look in for God. So I'm looking up and I said, God, if this is what you want me to do, you can count me out.
0: <laughs> so, I anyway. have another style going on.
1: Yeah, yeah it was, it was, um, it was, it was pretty bad. But, but eventually, um, yeah, you know, I, I met my, I met my current wife, Angela, and, uh, and at the time that I, um, I met her, this is when I, I had actually kind of gotten into ministry, and I was, I was. Um, you know, attending a church, and I was uh, going through a leadership class, and all of this stuff. And I remember telling her, I said, "You know what?" I said, uh, "God called me to preach." And we were talking. She was in Texas, I was in Chicago. And when I told her that, there was like about i, I, I to me, it, it felt like about thirty minutes of silence. But she sure. she claims it was only like about two minutes. But um, she's she's the daughter of a pastor and uh, the granddaughter of a pastor and the great-granddaughter of a pastor. And, and so she was like, I, I don't want any part of that.
0: Yeah. So uh, it's pastor, a- you know, and, and the country, kind of it sounds like you were kind of a Pentecostal tradition at the time.
1: Yeah. And, and that's, yeah. and so anyway, we get married and, and then, um, you know, we went through some, some church hell and I, I, that's, that's something I'll save for another episode. But eventually, uh, we, we landed up, uh, here in Arizona and we planted a church and the church was, was actually, you know, very successful. Um, we, we had, we had a, a small church family. I think that we at our high water mark was about 60 people. And, uh, and, and then but pretty much on the average, we run like maybe about 10 or 15 people. That was our average, right? And, uh, and during this time, I started the deconstruction process because the first thing that, that I saw was that God is love. God is love. And when I, when I got hold of that, that took me down a rabbit hole. And, and, and it caused me to go back and reevaluate, reverse engineer, Take apart, put together, put, take apart, put together everything that I had known before then. And so when I wrote my book, Deconstructing Religion in 2016, at that point, I had, by the time I'd actually finished that book, I was well past where the book is. Right. <laughs> and, and I, I was just like, wait a second. Okay. So, um, and so where I am now to, to kind of uh, wrap this up and put a bow on it, because I don't want to talk through the whole show, <laughs> is that, um, I'm at the point now where I believe, and listen, I, I have completely shit-canned everything that religion has taught me, everything. And, and I start from the construct that Jesus is God and that Jesus came to show us that we too are God. Yes. And, and so when I look at scripture, basically the only thing that I count in my personal canon is the first three chapters of Genesis, the Gospels, the book of Acts. And that's pretty much it. That's 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 where I am. I and so, but I I believe in the whole you know many paths kind of thing, and and that's heresy. (laughs) But I, I also, for me, I love Jesus. I know Jesus. Jesus is real to me, and and but it's not this this Jesus that we've been taught. You know that that. Uh, if you don't if you don't accept him, if you don't receive him, you're going to hell and all this other stuff, man. It was like that was one of the biggest things was was undoing un you know, unraveling the yarn that was the hell story.
0: And so was that was that taught to you in that you know the the youth group experience that you no, had, or a little bit no, later? it was well. Didn't after, grow up with it. it.
1: Listen, when I went through that youth group, th- there was never a single mention of the devil or hell or any of that. It, I, that was back. I didn't catch that until I got back to Detroit and got in my Baptist church. That's th- you know. Th-
0: yeah, so you kind—I of, mean—you kind of got like a really well-rounded. Christian experience. Yeah, I, I would say in so. all these different churches.
1: Yeah, and and I've I've gone from you know from Pentecostal to uh to Word of Faith, um to Apostolic. Uh, matter of fact, at 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 one point in my life, I was a consecrated bishop, an affirmed apostle, and an ordained pastor, and and at one time I was the head of the International Circle of Faith. Which is one of the largest um, apostolic organizations in the world, and that's where I met. Uh, we we have a, a heretic of the week, Doctor Lamont McNeese. Uh, that's where where we met, right? But you know, so I've I've served in in every capacity from the ministry of toilet cleaning uh, to to being the head of an ecumenical organization, and and that's that's my story.
0: And so now you know. I think one of the things I've heard you say. I don't know if you've said it explicitly on the podcast, so. Um We can, we can delete if, um, if uncool, but the, is that you really don't call yourself a Christian now, you know, I heard that Jesus is really important. And I think some listeners may be like, we, we are also called to be gods, you know, it's language I'm familiar with. I think my, I I come down on kind of a different side of that, that theology, but you know, what's, what is it that you don't, why is it that you don't call yourself a Christian and what do you call yourself? Well,
1: um, I, I stopped using the Christian moniker about a year ago and and it, okay. it was in the wake of a lot of the um uh police violence against black people Oof. and yeah. and and so as a, a at that time I was in the what they call the Grace camp um I went to the the leaders of the Grace camp you know some of the, the the heavy hitters and I said listen guys I need you to stand with me on this I don't need you to agree 100% but I just need I need I need your support and and some solidarity and just listen just say that it's wrong That's all. You don't have to bang the drum like me. You don't have to uh, shout at people like me. You don't have to march like me. You don't have to boycott anything like me. But just say something. Just say that it's wrong. And they say, oh, no, Derek, you know, what we're going to do is we're going to pray on it. We're going to all come together. We're going to fast and we're going to pray. And I'm like, no, listen, listen, fasting and praying hasn't helped black people in 400 years. You know this. Right. This is something. This is something real. I'm dealing with this. I have to explain to my kids why this keeps happening because they're asking me, Dad, what what what's going on here? And so I'm having to to try to sort this out. And at that point, I said, you know something. Uh, I, I this this is what happened. I said, um, I I, I call myself speaking to God, and I said, God, I, I can't I can't call myself a Christian anymore. And He said, I never called you to do that. Right. And and, and so. So at that point, I backed away from it. Now I'm going to tell you something. I love Jesus, and I'm going to say something here that some people are going to find completely heretical. But I'm going to say it anyway because Jesus is the fucking man. <laughs> okay, we're on
0: uh, heretic, happy so, Hour. I think yeah, everything, goes. Yeah, everything. Yeah, everything
1: is cool. But 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 the thing is, is, I want I want people to know that because see, I love Jesus, and and the Jesus that I know loved everyone. He he embodied empathy and compassion to all humanity to everyone who came to him everybody who came to him that 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 needed something he, they got it and not only just the people that came to him but there were people that were just along the way that Jesus dealt with because Jesus doesn't demand that we come to him he's that that's an, he doesn't demand anything and and what i say to people they say well what did jesus come to do and i say jesus came to reveal the intersection of divinity and humanity, and and I'm not I'm not one of these people that puts a lot of emphasis on the cross. But if you want to if you want to uh, hang something there besides Jesus, uh, I would say that um, that the cross is the is the intersection of divinity and uh, uh, divinity and humanity, and that's that's where I am. I really believe that Jesus came to show us that number one, there was never anything wrong with us. Number two, that there was, there's nothing separating us from the father. Number three, that the father loves us. And, and, and four, that we are co-equal with him and, and thus co-equal with God. And that's how I can say that I am God. Hey, And there it is. There it is.
0: Awesome. That's, uh, it's really fun for me to hear your story. I really, I knew, I knew just a few bits and pieces, but not, you know, not the whole. Um, so that's amazing to hear and I'll be, we, we need to have like a whole, we, ha- we need to have a whole another Valentine's Day to talk about like the, are we God? Are we not? Kind of Wayne Dyer yeah. or not. Yep. Uh, I would love that's, that. um, It's actually something I say like pretty explicitly. I'm like, actually, I don't like, we I'm not God. But
1: so, you know what? The, 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 I but, guess like yeah. the, uh, the, the common ground between you and I is that now I see things more in a quantum uh, mechanics uh, slash metaphysical sense instead yeah, of a, yeah, a pure it. spiritual sense. And so that's why right. when when we met for the first time and then we began to talk, you, what you were saying was really resonating with me because basically, you know that metaphysical part where where you are, that's some place where not only I am, but that's some place where I'm growing. And so so believe it or not, you may find this Hard to believe, but I, I actually I learned so much from you. I, I remember the uh the, the you know the talk that you gave in the Nomad 2020 conference.
0: Yeah, and, yeah, And fun. I
1: was I was just like, whoa, I'm I'm listening to your message. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa,
0: whoa. <laughs> you know, I'm like, she's speaking my cracker like a language. Well, I know every time you have a like, you know, on your Facebook lives when you have a quantum, something or another, I'm like, there it is. <laughs> That's fine. Well, yeah, well, it's definitely, you know, I definitely didn't grow up um talking about quantum physics or or metaphysics or anything like that. So should I start at the beginning? So tell us about your journey. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, I, you know, I grew up, it's interesting. I grew up in Louisiana and I grew up to parents who if they were sure about any one thing, it was that we were not going to be Baptist. <laughs> they had both grown <laughs> up Southern Baptist. And by the time, I think a few years after they got married, and I'm the youngest kid by far, um, they were like, we're not doing that. They, they recognized some of the toxic stuff. They got out. Um, so I grew up United Methodist, which on the whole was, um, was good for me. But I was evangelical adjacent. And all my friends were evangelical, um, went to a big Southern Baptist church. So I went to their youth, a lot of their youth stuff, where a lot of hellfire was preached and a lot of um, sexual purity stuff uh, was preached. Um, that I think the sexual purity stuff definitely was part of my upbringing because um, that doesn't leave you unless you're really conscious. You're gonna you're about. gonna
1: have to tie that back into your into your book because I want to
0: absolutely, it. absolutely, um, it, yeah. Um, and for girls, it I think it affects girls and boys um, differently. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, equally impactful, uh, but girls can inherit a lot of the sort of the body shame uh, around around sexuality and a lot of that purity, like who does your purity belong to. So I wasn't like full-fledged into it, but it was really present, Uh, you know, really present growing up. Things like, you know, virginity were emphasized, sort of purity were emphasized, all, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And at the same time, I was also going to Catholic school. So I went to Catholic school from preschool through seventh grade. And although I left in seventh grade, it was uh, very formative. So y'all, you want to throw a theology at me to deconstruct? I have experienced it from Catholic to mainline Protestant to, uh, you know, evangelical Southern Baptist kind of purity culture. Um, had an experience in, I went to Southern Baptist camp with my cousins growing up and, you know, had the whole saving moment down at the, you know, down walk, walk down to the front of the uh, stage and my poor parents. When I told them about it, I think they were just like, "Oh my God, this is everything we tried to keep her away from." How did how did this even happen? I
1: remember when you told us about church camp,
0: <laughs> and that was like, "Oh yeah, Ooh. oh yeah, that <laughs> uh, was a yeah, yeah." And so I, you know, I, I was inhabiting lots of different worlds um, growing up, and I think I started deconstructing some of that, some of the hellfire um, stuff because uh, it wasn't my experience. My experience was that that God was good, that I was loved, and. Some of the closeness that I saw my evangelical friends having with God, I, I very much envied though. And I didn't have that in quite the same way. I had my own experiences, but there was a lot of priority placed on having a very intense emotional experience mm-hmm. that I didn't always have. We all, you can tell from my, you know, uh, my tra- trajectory since then, I'm in my head a lot. <laughs> and so the, the thought that God could come to me through actual study, not doctrinal study, but just my own insights. Mm-hmm was, um, brand new for me. And so when I go to college, uh, I think second semester of college, I take, uh, an intro to new Testament class. I'm at Centenary college, uh, Centenary college of Louisiana. And they say, my professor, who's now a colleague and friend, uh, told me, uh, we're going to study the, the new Testament. We're going to find out why these people wrote these books the way that they did, who wrote them, when they wrote them, You know, just because it says the gospel of Mark doesn't mean that Mark wrote it and put all those pieces together. And I thought I had died and gone to heaven. This is hellscape for most people. I was so happy. Finally, someone was answering my questions. And so then I was like, you know, I can actually come to God through my head space, um, through my curiosity, through what I want to know. And so I had some very formative experiences there. Um, So I never got so deep into that evangelical world. That it was like crawling to get out of it, but the deconstruction process took years—years years around sexuality, years around purity, um, years around things like um, because it says it in the Bible. How do we translate that into something that's usable today? Just because I know why an ancient person wrote it doesn't mean that I don't wrestle with—is that authoritative or not? No
1: one of the, one of the things you're 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 really a deep theologian, which is something that that I'm not. Um, uh, but I wonder how how did this deconstruction impact your relationship with with your fellow theologians? you know, people you went to school with and people that you labored with what 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 was the what was the reaction that uh, that people had? You
0: know, I think that's a great question. I, you know in college, like all this is happening in college, and all of us who are kind of journeying through a religion major are doing similar things at similar times, and different people have different um really different reactions. Um, To this process, we were all very much Gen X, and so we were really used to not being labeled and and resisting those labels, Um, you know. And so there were some people in there who have gone very traditional, very kind of conservative. There are some people in there who, like me, who have gone off into quantum physics and metaphysics and past lives. Um, I'd say not many. I'm probably one of the only ones who have done that. And a lot of people who have stayed in a kind of moderate mainline. Mainline tradition. Okay. Um, so I don't know that I could, I don't know that we would have called it deconstruction because in college, you know, this college, I mean, it's a fairly progressive college in, in the religion department. Our professors were asking us to do, engage this process, What they weren't good at. Um, sorry, professors. What they weren't good at was providing a safety net for us to experience the full range of like, oh my God, I'm freaking out. What do I do now? They were like, yeah, you're freaking out. Good luck.
1: Yeah there needs to be a, a safe landing place.
0: We need a safe landing place. And so a lot of people, you know, if they're taking those for like their core curriculum, they leave that and they're just torn apart. And there's, yeah, there's not a lot of safety net and there's not a place for them to process that. And so I think the one thing I really learned is like when I teach, which is rare now, but when I was uh, teaching those 101 classes, I, I, as much as I could, I provided a safety net. I let people express what they were experiencing if they were deconstructing something um very deeply. And so that's hopefully a gift I've offered um those students.
1: That's something I really love about you because you you're very um even though you're 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 very I'm I'm, I'm just going to put it out there. You're one of the smartest people I know. I mean, just really, you're just, you're, oh, just, you're just fucking smart. Right. And, and you know, <laughs> that the, you know, this stuff. A lot of books. Yeah. So you, you know, you pull up all, all of this, um, you know, this deep theological knowledge. And, but, but the one thing is, is that I, what I love about you is that you don't have an arrogant bone in your body. It, it's like, you're, you're very tolerant and very, uh, empathetic of where people are on their journey. And, and I'll be honest, you know, um, I'd like to I, I kind of aspire to be more like you.
0: Oh, that's I think this admiration is just uh totally mutual. And um I think I can also I have a tendency to hide behind my books sometimes. So um fellow, fellow co hosts <laughs> who are here and listening, feel free to call me out on that anytime. Uh because the books don't actually tell us what our experience is with, with Jesus, you know. They 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 offer us one avenue. <laughs> <It's not stormy>. <laughs> right. <laughs> You know, uh, from there, for, for me, uh, I decided to go to seminary, and I uh, went, to, went to United Methodist Seminary. Uh, I got an academic degree, so I did not get the degree that sort of leads you towards becoming a pastor. Very happy in my academic world. Um, after a few years after that, I began my my PhD work. Well, the time when I began my PhD work, I was mid-20s, and I thought, oh, I think I've had just enough of this church, uh, church experience. You know, some of the church services just weren't fulfilling for me. Maybe I'm post-Christian, you know, I thought maybe that was a label I could have. So my, I was kind of in the throes of a deconstructing, like, what am I? What am I? Who am I? I know this is important. And I mean, for God's sake, I was going to get a PhD in the New Testament, you know. Um, and so I was in Berkeley, California. I'm fairly extroverted, fairly extroverted. And I thought maybe I'm post-Christian. I'm going to get, I'm not going to do church. I'm not going to do any of this for a few years. Just, you know, there's, there's too much corruption, hypocrisy, all of that. Uh, but I was, I got lonely because I'm pretty extroverted. And so I'd been there about two days. I got, I think I got there on a Thursday, Friday. Well, by Sunday, I was just bored out of my mind and lonely. And so I went to the church around the corner. And then the week after that, I joined it. Oh, wow. And so uh, that's been my, my denominational home as uh, the tr- Christian church, Disciples of Christ okay. um, since that time. And so it was really on this journey where I began to know and experience like, Like Derek did, you know, from the time he was much younger. And so this is where I'm envious of you, Derek. Um, I really began to experience the God who can hold me and hold all of my difference, who can hold all of who I am and just love that and created that within me. And began having these metaphysical, mystical experiences. So I'm I'm working on PhD during I'm like I'm working on PhD by night, by day, but by night I'm I'm exploring my chakras. Yeah, now that that's something, and uh, there's no better place to do that than Berkeley. I, I
1: want you to, to to talk a little bit about that about your your study in the chakras and 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 also uh Ricky. And I, I know that you're, you're yeah you're, you're a Ricky practitioner, and and so I so I want to know. What, but tell us uh, more about that.
0: Yeah, and I and I would say you know this was probably part of that deconstruction process because it doesn't come naturally to most you know Methodist Baptist Catholic kids to explore their chakras. Um, so you know in Berkeley I was um, you know studying taking classes all that and I started going to a dream class and it was a class only on interpreting our dreams very intuitive process. Um, the the man who taught it he, he died recently Jeremy Taylor um, just really opened up my eyes and my insights to the to the fact that dreams um, are a psychological phenomena that we experience, but they're also more than that. Dreams, uh, we, we would come to class and people would have like the same, like two people would show up and they had had a similar dream or the same dream or the same symbols would appear in everyone's dream one night. Wow. Um, yeah, it was cool. And I, I was like, oh, things are not exactly the way I think they are. Like we, we can't explain everything by the brain. Right. By kind of, yeah, by psychological analysis, it's helpful. It's not the whole story. So it really, I, I, this class was such a lifeline for me. Everyone got an A. I, uh, I went every Monday night for two years. I never missed. Wow. I mean, if I missed, I was, like, I was, I was really sick to miss. Um, from there, I mean, I've, like you, I feel like God really placed some key people in my life. Um, one of them was a, a Catholic brother, a monk, and he taught transpersonal. Uh, he was a transpersonal psychologist, and he taught meditation, and he taught me about meditation and the chakras mm. and about energy work. And so, it kind of all snowballed from there. Um, So, fast forward, I I finally finished my. I'm I'm working towards finishing my PhD. My partner and I moved to Chico, California, where I currently live. Um, And somewhere in the middle of there, I told the person who was my pastor at the time. I called. It was funny. I called her. I was like, "Can we just go on a walk?" She said, "Yeah." And so I called her. We went on a walk. I had been engaging with women in ministry for um, probably 15 years at this point in time, and she let me get through about an hour of the walk, and she said. Why are we on this walk? And I said, "Well, the word ordination keeps on coming through my head, and I don't know what to do with that because I had always been a really dedicated to being a good layperson. So then I began the path towards ordination, which was its own scary, metaphysical, weird adventure. I had to, you know, you have to can deconstruct all that um, in my tradition before, not before they certify you, but like that's an important part of the process.
1: So was the was the ordination before or after you wrote the book?
0: It was after. After, okay. Let me do my math. Let me do my math. It was after. It might have been before it was published. Okay, but like it was all it was all happening at the same time. Like, fin, you know, because the book is my dissertation, so I'm like writing that dissertation. That took forever. Wow. Took many years. I'm, I'm pursuing ordination. Because I, I remember writing to my ordination committee several times, and I would say I'm I, I'm really engaged. I'm, I'm I want to do this. Uh, I think I want to do this. And I was never really sure. Um, God's funny like that. I was like, I think I want to do this, but like I have these deadlines and I can't give the time and the soul space that I want to, to this process. So can we delay it by three or four months? They were always so gracious. I'm so grateful for this committee. They were like, yeah, we're here to support you. Not the other way around. Um, So it was never a test. It was just a companionship the whole way through. Got it. And that was very healing for me because I really come from a background of being tested. Wow. Having to know a bunch of stuff. And they were like, we know, you know, things let's talk about what you're experiencing. And so that was really helpful in my deconstruction process. Everyone needs an ordination committee whether or not you're getting ordained <laughs> to companion you through this process well that's, that's we kind of like deconstruction committee that's what we need It's kind of like uh
1: defending your dissertation right <laughs> yeah.
0: a little bit yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: The ordination yeah. process yeah
0: yeah so you know fast forward and uh got ordained, completed the book uh, on sexuality and enslavement and, and, and first Corinthians. Became a Reiki master, began coaching people around the metaphysics uh, and Christianity, which is what I'm doing now. I had a couple of ministry positions in the meantime, and voila, here we are on the Heretic Happy Hour.
1: Wow. What a journey.
0: (laughs) It is such a journey it's and it's interesting how our journeys intersect a little bit with each other just around metaphysics and around this um experiences and getting out of the head and into the soul.
1: And and this is so funny for me because there you know my wife has always been more spiritually sensitive than I am and you know she was way ahead of me on on a lot of this stuff. And and so I would I would always like when I would see her, you know, uh doing reiki or or uh you know, she's studying chakras and, and, you know, and studying like natural medicine and things. And I'm like, Oh my God, this is the devil. It's the devil. It's the devil. And, I, and, I'm, and, I'm, and, I'm, praying and I'm praying for her, praying for her, you know, you've got to contend for the faith. And, 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 and now I'm like, I'm like, wait a second, you know, she was, she was onto something. And and then I look back at, at other people. Um, like one, one of my friends, she's an author, her name is Karen Miller, Karen Quinones Miller. She's a, you know, real, really famous novelist. And she's one of my Navy buddies. Um, but, um, Karen is a Yoruba priestess. Ooh. And 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 you know back in the days when we were in journalism and all of that she was she was into that and I used to say oh my god my sister she's going to hell she's going to hell and, and but now it it's like okay I get it you know and 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 she and I we could talk we could talk freely about about spiritual things and so the the whole process of deconstruction for me like when I like I said I wrote the book and I covered I I covered these things like about tithing and about women in ministry and and uh, you know what? People put more faith in Job than they put in Jesus, and I and I wrote about all right. these things. But but uh, what, what I what I discovered is that that was the tip of the iceberg, and everybody knows that the tip of the iceberg, what was above the water, was not what sank the Titanic. It was what was beneath. And so spoken
0: uh, like a true Navy yeah, person,
1: exactly. Yep.
0: What's your favorite part about the book now? Like, what's what's something that you wrote about that you're you know, that may be helpful uh, to people now. Or I'm sure it's all helpful, but what's what's one piece that's standing out to you?
1: You know, the the one that that still resonates the strongest for me, and I think that this is part of my affinity for you, is is about women in ministry. Because I really think that that women have literally been screwed over when it comes to ministry I, I I see you know so many people like Rachel held Evans and um mercy oh. Aiken and jory, jory Micah. and 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 I have all of these all of these um you know and and then you Katie that women that are that understand scripture they they understand the spirit of scripture but they also understand the mechanics of scripture and 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 people who women who are are natural leaders that if if you you know you leave them to themselves, then they they would they would uh, rise to the highest um, I don't know the 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 highest echelon of understandings, right? And and yet this patriarchal society does so much. Even now, it's like even now there was there was a big dust up in the Southern Baptists about Beth Moore recently.
0: Yeah, and right, yep, there sure was, and.
1: And I'm like, you know, I love Beth Moore. Now, I, do I agree with her? I mean, she's a Baptist, so fuck no. But uh, you know, the, but the the reality is, she's awesome. And and so I can't understand why uh, society and and the the um the religious apparatus is so hell bent on denying women this this awesome honor, because basically what you're doing is silencing. More than half of the body of Christ, and I just yeah. think that that's it. So if, if if you if you go to buy deconstructing religion, please focus in on the, on the area on women in ministry and understand where my heart is because I'm, I'm going to tell you something. one of, one of the things that I did as a as an ecumenical leader was I was very adamant about helping women achieve their destiny in ministry. I mean that that was Aww, like that was a th- that was just a big part of what I did because I thought that, oh my God, it, it, you know, <laughs> you I, I could go through case study after case study in scripture where women led. And and then I meet all of these fantastic ladies who are, you know, who are teaching and I'm sitting at their feet and I'm learning. I'm having a Martha Mary moment sitting at the feet of Katie. Okay. So I'm learning. I'm learning and I've I've grown, I've grown because of you. I've grown because of Rachel. I've grown because of Mercy. I've grown because of Jory. I've grown because of Beth. I've grown because of many women.
0: Ugh, thank you for writing that chapter. That's amazing. I, I cannot imagine having been ordained in an evangelical context. By that point, I was not, I mean, Disciples of Christ, actually, we range a lot. I mean, there are evangelical, um, you know, more fundamentalist Disciples of Christ church, and then there's really, really progressive ones and everything in between. Um, and so, but the tradition that I was really located in was not evangelical. Um, I can't imagine doing this work in a highly evangelical context. Well, obviously on metaphysics and chakras and stuff, not at all. Um, but even that, you know, the that's a level of, tax, of potential toxicity. That would be really hard just to navigate your emotional, mental, spiritual health every day.
1: Well, just know this: that in your journey, you you now have a big brother who will defend you to the fullest. I will. Awesome. I will. I will smooth whoop somebody's ass if they if they come at you sideways.
0: <laughs> Fortunately, now I'm just like block delete. It's fine. Yep. Like
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's that's pretty much where I am. I ha- I had to learn that I used to want to engage everybody, but yeah, there, there's you just can't. You just can't, and and so especially when when people go on about about issues about race about sexuality about uh, male female all of this, it, when when they get to that point and they and they try to um, bombard me from that area from that angle, at, at that point there there is no more conversation.
0: Yeah, I I'll, I'll converse honestly with anyone like a genuine conversation yeah. as soon as people ask me to be defensive or you know they get defensive I just kind of uh, redirect redirect or block delete yeah
1: I, I mostly i don't even i don't even engage anymore basically i'm like i i know i I believe what i believe i say what i say i'm I'm done with the pulpit i'm not you know standing in any pulpit i'm not trying to persuade anybody i'm not trying to win any souls or anything like that so here's the deal i'm going to say what i say and you are free to consume it or ignore it. And if you, but if you choose to uh, consume it in a negative way, well, then um, I'm going to love you, but I'm going to love you from a safe distance, like nuclear power. Like, <laughs> like nuclear
0: power. And Derek, you know so much about um, science and military. It's been like really helpful, all these different dimensions of you <laughs> in, the, <laughs> in the podcast. Yeah.
1: You know, my, my, my wife said, I, I think too much.
0: I appreciate the thinking.
1: So this, the book that you have for you are bought with a price, sex, slavery, and self-control. So let's just try to tie in those three concepts, sex, slavery, and self-control. I'm really anxious to hear about how you uh, juxtapose, compare, and contrast those things.
0: Serious. I am too some days. I have to kind of reread <laughs> it. Um, so this is uh, this is my dissertation. It got turned into a book. Uh, I endeavored, everyone, to make it readable uh, for, the, uh, for everyone. Um, so I, I, if this topic interests you, I encourage you to pick it up. Um, it is published by Glossa House. They have a ton of... I know our listeners get really curious because they ask me all the time in our Facebook groups, about ancient languages. And so they're actually a great resource to go, um, like you can actually learn Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic, Latin, all of those ancient languages for yourself. Um, so we're gonna have a link for you about that. Um, and they teach intuitive learning, which is amazing and cool. So I really worked with this publisher to get this book out there. And so this is on 1 Corinthians 7, verses 21 through 24, which are some of the most contested verses in the New Testament. It's the only time that Paul addresses directly people who are enslaved, and the reason this passage is so controversial is because verse twenty-one can be translated one of two ways. Paul either Paul definitely says, um, "Were you um, were you a slave when you were called?" Don't worry about it. He says that that part's very clear, and then he either says, um, "Remain in slavery and use your slavery," or Remain in your freedom, and use your freedom. And the indirect object is um, unclear in this passage, and that's why it's translated one one way or the other. Well, those are a big difference, right? Like either remaining your slavery—that's pretty horrific. Mm. Um, remain in your freedom is can be empowering. Um, so I argue in in my book, uh, the the case that I make is that Paul actually. Um, recommends freedom for enslaved people so that they could follow all of the sexual rules he's laid out in first Corinthians 7 and elsewhere because someone who was enslaved for instance didn't have the power to decide who they married they couldn't even be legally married they didn't have the power to turn down sexual advances or offers um, they couldn't uh, they couldn't ab- they couldn't have this kind of sexual, like, I'm going to put this in air quotes, purity that Paul recommended for Jesus' followers, because if someone wanted to sexually exploit them, then they could. Mm. And an enslaved person, like, literally couldn't say no to that, or they could say no, it would not go well for them. And so I, I made the argument that Paul actually wants, um, freedom for people who are enslaved so that they could abide by the sexual ethics that he lays out for their community maybe for other reasons too but that's how they all go together so y'all see all, you see the sexual full circle here and my my wonderings growing up and here it is
1: in our notes here you talk about the uh using self-control to avoid pornea pornea and that i believe yeah. is where you get the word pornography
0: Yep. Yep. They are related. Um, yeah. So pornea is, it's, it's simply sexual. It's like sexual fornication kind of sexual sin, but here's the kicker. Paul never defines it. He thinks that he, he's writing to an audience who already knew what he thought it was.
1: Now I wonder about this because one of the things that I've studied is that when Paul talked about this pornea, that he was talking about, uh, like temple sex that, you know, basically it was the, the whole, uh, Diana worship and that the, you know, the, that there was, uh, sex as a part of worship, and
0: yeah, th- I mean, definitely, I think Paul, I think it's really safe to say that if, uh, if that was in existence, Paul would be say like, that's a no, yeah, <laughs> that's a no for Jesus followers, Yeah. and, and really kind of any any moderate Jewish, moderate to conservative yeah. Jewish person in the ancient world would have been a no on that.
1: Don't bring your pagan shit up in here, buddy. <laughs>
0: right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and so yeah, so definitely any kind of like cultic prostitution I'll uh, you know, exactly. be against. But he's also yeah. very much, I mean, in 1 Corinthians 6 he really calls out the man who is um, who has uh, had sex with a prostitute. Um, so it doesn't, we don't think that was in a temple necessarily. It's interesting, he never calls out the prostitute. He only calls out the Jesus wall. Mm. Who's engaging with the prostitute, so I find it very interesting and often very, very overlooked and so there's something for Paul there's something like about the like it's it's like polluting kind of the body of Christ if someone is engaging you know in that it. that brings up a really interesting
1: question: Why is it then that that women are always blamed for anything sexual, like the woman caught in the act of adultery uh, in seriously
0: Jesus. I do not know like. I think Paul, it's it's interesting in 1 Corinthians 7, because I think Paul is actually, I don't want to say Paul is egalitarian. I, that's a modern abstract concept. We can't really read that back into Paul. But Paul kind of offers a mutuality for men and women. So in 1 Corinthians mm. one seven one through 5, he says, um, he tells the Corinthians, hey, you guys are, um, they, he's quoting a slogan back to them that it is well for a man not to touch a woman. So it tells us that some Corinthians were taking sexual asceticism to the nth degree. And even though they were married, they were denying sex to their husbands or their wives. Mm -hmm. But Paul's like, no, no, if you're married, you have to have, you have to provide sex for your husband or wife. Otherwise they're going to go commit pornea with someone else like the prostitute or, you know, someone else who's married. Like you can't do that. But he actually says like, he addresses men and women very mutually in this passage He doesn't say, "Women, you have to give it up for your husbands." Um, he says, "You know, to both, like, be respectful of one another, but don't withhold yourself for the sake of sexual right. purity." It's okay to have sex while you're married. It. So why women get blamed for all? I don't know. You know, who knows, right? So yeah, yeah, that,
1: that's that's one of the things that's always bothered me in my in my biblical study is that why is it the woman that's always the woman always has the blame? In in other words, doesn't doesn't the guy have some part to play in this? And when they brought the woman caught in the act of adultery, I wonder who was she having adultery with right and, and and you know when when i my little flights of fancy i'm thinking that it had to have been a priest
0: i it's possible i haven't done any like study on that but yeah. in my imagination yeah there's someone yeah, who's I, a, a kind of elite like elite leader
1: yeah maybe yeah, because if it was if oh, it was just an average guy some fisherman or something i think that they would have probably even if they didn't drag him in i'm surely i'm sure that he would have been mentioned by name but there was a reason why That guy was excluded.
0: Yeah, and you know, and it's I think Paul. I mean, Paul has very strict ideas about sexuality. Not not all of which I you know agree with, or not all of which maybe pertain to our modern world today. But in this respect, I think that Paul actually um, offers us maybe a different model of New Testament relationships between um, men and women that we can learn from. That maybe we can adapt to our culture today. For instance, like Derek writing a whole chapter in his book about the empowerment of women preaching. Like that. Yeah. And so it's not like there's there's maybe not a direct line to Paul, but we can see maybe the similarities. People are fighting about this in the ancient world. They're fighting about it now.
1: And the more things change, the more they
0: stay the same. Right. <laughs> um, I will say my favorite part about writing the book, my absolute favorite part was I have to talk about circumcision a lot. Because Paul talked about circumcision a lot and Hebrew people talked about circumcision a lot. And uh, the passage right before mine on on enslavement talks about were you circumcised when you were called? Were you uncircumcised where you were called? Y'all, Paul gets graphic in in this section. The English translations do not do it justice, but he basically is like, are you going to stretch your foreskin back out to recircumcise yourself? You know why he said that? Because some people were doing it. And so in my research, I came across all of these like graphic medieval drawings where people and like all these, I had to read up on ancient medical literature about like radical circumcisions and radical uncircumcisions, which was actually a surgical procedure and would just flip people out on Facebook and in my (laughs) household with it. And like watching the cringe was kind of got me through a couple of really difficult chapters of the dissertation.
1: (laughs) Well, I, I have not yet read your book but I'm going to get it and I'm going to dedicate myself to reading it. Why? Because I love you, Katie.
0: (laughs) We will, we will do a book exchange. Sweet. Maybe follow up on a, on a zoom call or something like that.
1: Yeah. Or maybe we can, maybe we'd just commandeer the Heretic Happy Hour again.
0: I'm more than happy to do that. Um, What's um, so Derek, I'll say my, um, my like kind of takeaway from this conversation. There's many, many, many takeaways. But I I just loved hearing about your direct experiences of God and how like that, it seems like, correct me if I'm wrong, like those happen first in your life and then yeah. all of this other toxic theology comes in and you have to work through that. And then you return to this direct experience.
1: Yeah. And, and, and you know what? I, I, I make a joke about this because there's a term among drug users that's called chasing the dragon. Yeah. And where you're going after that, the feeling of that first high. And and so my whole um, faith experience has been chasing the dragon. You know, I, I wanted to go back to how I felt that day in Edina, Minnesota, in the Presbyterian church basement. You know, and I, I want to get that again. Well, now I've gone through this deconstruction, de- deconstructing process, and I've actually reversed engineered it back to that point. And so I've actually arrived or returned to. The point of my first love.
0: I love that, and that's that full circle journey um, has enabled you to be able to help all these other people.
1: I certainly try, you know. And that's (laughs)
0: that's so beautiful. So I know it's a it's not always an easy journey, and you know, through through a lot of grief that I heard and um, on that. But I'm so glad. I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad we're here together.
1: I know this is this has been awesome, and um, and and I'll tell you, um, you know, again, I have such great admiration and respect for you. I mean, it, uh, call me a fanboy, but you know, uh, I,
0: this, <laughs> this goes both both ways. Yeah. It's um, yeah, it's so wonderful, and I, I think it it feels like we're we're so both on the same kind of page about this direct experience and yeah. quantum reality. I have to I have to work for it, so this is where I'm jealous of Derek, of you, Derek, because it comes to you naturally, right? I have to really set aside my like all my logic brain um to to be able to get there, and the uh. But I love it that we're on the same page about that and this kind of quantum reality and that there's, there's experiences that we can't necessarily quantify, but that we can have through this divine yep. love that we call God.
1: You know, this, the awesome thing about um, tying all of this into quantum mechanics is this, is that what I've learned about quantum mechanics is that the very act of observing a quantum phenomenon influences the quantum phenomenon. Yeah. So, so that means that, that just the fact that we look at something, that we examine something, that we study something, that we unpack something. There is something happening to that which we are studying reverse engineering or unpacking. And so this is just really amazing because you can you can do this multiple times to the same artifact and, and see something different every time.
0: There's like random stuff that we don't understand. Yeah, happening at that quantum level that we can't yep. always observe. Like you said, we can't always observe. And uh, that's where God is present. That's, that's where right. God is present. And, you know, I know I'm going to bring this around like super full circle. Okay, are you ready? I'm ready. Because the movie Dune is being remade and coming out in December. Dune talks about this, about what it is to be in the flow of a process. And I know if Matt was here, he would want to chime in because he loves the science mm-hmm. fiction stuff. He'd like, mm-hmm. Dune. <laughs> dune and all the books like we're gonna do a whole sci-fi series and matt is gonna lead the forefront on this y'all i'm kidding because matt hates all this stuff but derek <laughs> and i really like it <laughs> we won't inflict this torture on matt but we may talk about it uh, No, i online. think we
1: should inflict the torture on him
0: i don't know what keith is just over there typing he hasn't read dune though but he's seen he's seen the old movie. cool well should I uh, talk about how people can in- engage with the conversation about quantum physics, please, soon and the rest?
1: Please do.
0: All right. So, y'all... We got ways to engage. Uh, Come to our website, heretichappyhour.com. There's tons to do there. You can click, you can suggest, you can get on our hotline. Uh, We also have two Facebook groups. Join Heresy After Hours, where we got more than 2,000 heretics just like you. They're asking, yes, asking tough questions with a snarky but supportive community. We also have a Patreon group that's exclusive just for our Patreon members. So if you become a patron, then you get access to that, pa- to our Facebook group for our Patreon members. And thank you, Glossa House, because my publisher has been so amazing. And they've agreed that they are going to give a PDF to all of our patrons at a certain level and a blog. Wow. Um, so you can actually read all about Cornea yourself. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then you can engage in that conversation in our Facebook groups.
1: Nice. And for those of you who want to, who really enjoy the Heretic Happy Hour podcast, you can be a part of what makes us work. And that is by becoming a patron on Patreon. We have four different tiers $2, $10, $25, and $100. And for the $25 and up crowd, we actually do videos that are off the record, they're private, just for you. Think of it as. Theological porn. Yeah, for 25 bucks a month, you too can participate in some heretical porn. How about that? So go to patreon.com forward slash heretic happy hour and become a supporter. I'm still so wrapping my mind around it. And if you love this podcast, please continue to listen, like, subscribe, and give us a five-star rating. Why? Because if you don't give us a five star rating, the devil will show up and he'll torment your ass until you give us five stars. Not just kidding.
0: And then you can read Derek's book on how to deconstruct that.
1: Yeah, that's right. You can you can deconstruct that devil. Devil. I like saying devil. <laughs> it's so country.
0: I like your Southern Baptist Southern devil. Way of saying it.
1: <laughs> yep. And, and so I I believe that that.
0: Hey, that's a wrap. How we up. do? How we do in our first solo you know I, exploration? Should I, we branch I, off on our own?
1: You know what? I don't know. I don't know. I, Are we ready? I, I, you know, I really like Keith and Matt.
0: I really should like we let them Matt. out of the trunk and?
1: Yeah, I, I'm. I'm. I'm gonna. I'm gonna let them out of the trunk and then I'm gonna go and retire the Chevy. Uh, I don't know. I may. I may not retire it because I may need to use it again. And the next time, I, and because I'm an equal opportunity abuser, I'll throw Keith in the trunk next time.
0: Oh, good. I thought you were about to say me, but keep me out of the trunk. No.